Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blum and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs in our special Thanksgiving episode. Chef Jean Blum, take it away. Well, happy Thanksgiving week, everyone. And before we start with a little segment about the history of Thanksgiving, the role of beer in our Thanksgiving celebrations, as well as some Thanksgiving uh, menu items from around the country, Amaris and I wanted to extend our deepest sympathies to the victims and the family of the victims uh, in the Colorado shooting at the nightclub, as well as offer our heartfelt thanks to all our armed forces who are deployed in various places in the world and not able to come home for this Thanksgiving with family. Thank you and our deepest sympathies to those who are suffering. So, as we move, Thanksgiving is kind of roughly based off a festival that was shared with uh, the Wampanoag Indians at a Native American tribe that was right in the Plymouth Colony of Massachusetts in uh, 1621. Um, it really celebrated the first successful harvest in the New World, and that's what it was really there uh, to celebrate and, and to give thanks for. Um, while we celebrate the fourth Thursday in November, um, their celebration was certainly closer to autumn, uh, you know, very close to the harvest, which was celebrated, so it was probably you know, at least six weeks earlier, somewhere in that line. There is no specific date uh, that was known about that. There are only two surviving written documents that actually talk about that first Thanksgiving. So very little, you know, actual written proof of what was going on at that point in time still exists. Thanksgiving as we know it, uh, the fourth Thursday of the month, uh, came about, really as the work of Sarah Josepha Hale, who worked with uh, Honest Abe Lincoln. Uh, she convinced him in 1862-1863 that what America needed was a national celebration of Thanksgiving that would help unite the country after the Civil War. And at that point in time, uh, Abe kind of made it celebrated the last Thursday of the month, um, but as we all know, the world of politics moves slow. So it was almost 80 years later before it became official and made official by a congressional decree in 1941. And that is just the way that politics works. But as I said, there's very really little written evidence about what that first feast was. There is a couple uh, mentions of it in some documents, and then there's a lot that we can kind of put together from foods of the time and things that existed. So let's talk a little bit about what was there, what wasn't there. So the first Thanksgiving feast certainly had, you know, venison, which is you know abundant in that region, uh, wildfowl, cod, bass, other types of fish, lobster, mussels, things like that. And then, you know, one of the most common items would have been what's referred to as flint. Flint is a, a native variety of corn, which was eaten either as a type of bread where the corn was the, the you know, body of it, or a porridge. 
But if we take a look at a little deeper into that world, so wildfowl. Wildfowl at the time were ducks and geese, but they probably also included the now-extinct carrier pigeons and swans. Sadly, as we know it, there was no turkey at the first Thanksgiving. Turkey, if you know anything about them, is a very smart and very difficult animal to hunt. Um, they will actually toy with hunters in the field, so they'll play a little game of hide-and-seek, and they're very good at you know, following patterns of the, the ground and being able to hide and kind of sneak up behind you. And I know turkey hunters who have been frustrated because what they think is a turkey that's out there will come up behind them and make some noises and then disappear again. <laughs> Very difficult animal. And the wildfowl at the time was not traditionally stuffed with, you know, what we know today is, you know, chunks of bread and and you know, sausage, it was really more with things like onions and nuts. So it was, you know, a very different type of product then. Seafood, which was so common, if you think about New England, we all know it for seafood. You know, the common things back then, obviously bass and, and fish, cod of the area, but eel was another one. Eel is really easy to catch. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, it's something that there's an abundance of. They're easy to get in freshwater rivers and, and things like that. So it's very difficult or very easy to, you know, fill your plate with the oil and fill your plate with uh, with those local fish. But also lobsters and mussels. You know, lobsters are a deceiving thing. While we think of it as this expensive food, it wasn't that long ago where lobster was considered the poor man's fish. They, you know, they... They were what we fed the workers and we what we fed the people on the boats and things like that. It was not considered a luxury item. But, uh, you know, lobsters and mussels were abundant back then. You can get them. And also, you know, things like oysters and things like that, which always leads me to believe, you know, who was that first person to open up an oyster and look inside and say, oh, <laughs> that looks good. But and I, I want to eat it raw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Me, me as well. I, you know, all the time. Now, for my friends out there who are vegetarians, I will tell you that you would have been fine in 1621 at that first Thanksgiving because there was an abundance of things like peas and beans and squash and, of course, as I mentioned, the flint corn. And you would have probably found some vegetables also that came over from the old world, such as cabbage and carrots, things that were able to make the journey over there. Yeah. Let's talk about foods that were absent. So there were no potatoes at, no mashed potatoes, no roasted potatoes at that first Thanksgiving. They had not arrived from South America yet. So you know, we know that there were no potatoes. Their origin was South America. They made the world and they made their way over here to North America, the New World. And, you know, we attribute potatoes to be a very American thing. They're really not. They're from Central and South America. But, you know, they didn't exist over here at that point in time. Gravy, as we're so accustomed to seeing gravy, certainly didn't exist because in 1621 there were no flour mills yet in the, in the states or you know in America at that point in time. There were no sweet potatoes with or without the toasted marshmallows. You know, since they had not yet arrived from the Caribbean, they, you know, a number of years before they came about, there were certainly no sweet potatoes at that time. Cranberries though were certainly incorporated into some of the dishes, but they were incorporated to give a little bit of tartness. But it wasn't until 50 years plus later 
that there was talk about cooking cranberries and sugar together to make kind of a sauce to go with meat. And in the early days of America, sugar was not only rare, but it was very, very, very expensive. So that idea of cooking cranberry down to a sauce as we know it today or something like that probably was not happening. It would have been just way too expensive to do. But even more heartbreaking in my world. So we know that there was no flour. Hmm. We know that there was no sugar. That leads me to say, There's definitively, no... there was no pie. Mm. Yep, I said that. No pie. Pumpkins were present. I'm certainly, you know, sure of that. I read some written accounts of that. Um, some historical, you know, evidence leads to that. But they were probably stewed with vinegar, currants, things like that. Not anywhere near the form of a pie of any type, you know. So. I talked a little in the beginning about beer and the role of beer in Thanksgiving. You may or may not have heard at some point in time where they talk about the pilgrims came ashore quickly because they were running low on beer. Absolutely, there's a lot of truth in that. It's a very important thing. And beer was not just a you know form of a recreational liquid. Um, beer was important for nutrition. And it was important for the intake of water. In England, you know, you look at London, the water supplies in London were often contaminated. The rivers were contaminated. I mean, you know, there were open sewers. It was a different period of time in the world. So beer became a very important product because it was safer to drink than water. As a matter of fact, when you think about the craziness of this, because we all love great fresh spring water, there are some you know, accounts of the pilgrims and such coming to New England and reluctantly drinking the fresh spring water because they were out of beer. It just cracks me up today with you know how we market spring waters and waters and things like that. But you know, beer became such a an important thing. And, you know, history of beer is a, is a very cool subject. I mean, you know, there are two primary styles of beers in the world. There are ales and lagers, and it's basically a cold fermentation for the lager and a warm fermentation for the ales. It's not all that simple, but it really is that simple. Um, and then within them, there are many subcultures of beer. There's pilsners. You know, there's ambers, there's IPAs, there's porters, there's stouts, there's sours. They kind of all fit in there. But, you know, beer is, is basically two. It's either an ale or a lager in one form or another. And I don't want to simplify it that much. And all my beer-loving friends will, uh, you know, climb up and down me on that one. But really the science of that is, is that way. And, you know, here at Tranquility Brewing in Bucks County, I can, you know, tell you that that is how our world works, uh, you know, that there are the elves and loggers and everything in between. But, you know, the Mayflower Compact will actually speak to the need that they were running low on beer and the need to come and, you know, come ashore for that, for that safe source of water, as well as the, the uh, you know, nutritional value that beers had back then. So, you know, so this Thanksgiving, I encourage you to have a couple beers. Enjoy. Now, my wine-loving friends will often ask me, Gene, what wine do I serve with Thanksgiving? 
a little harder than Matt's wines with, you know, turkey and things like that. So I'm going to go with uh, my suggestions. There are a couple choices I like to go. So I'm good with a, a very crisp Sauvignon Blanc. I'm also really good with a uh, Pinot Noir. And then last but not least, um, I also think that a great crisp Riesling is a way to go as well. And it's a, you know, something a little bit different that you could have. You want to stay away from the big, bold wines in that whole world, but um, you know, getting into that. So let's talk a little bit about some of the great regional foods that you can get across America because, as you know, you travel north, south, east, west, you're going to get all kinds of bizarre flavors in anything. And, you know, from New England to the Gulf states, there's always going to be different things. My Thanksgiving table this year is going to feature Traducan. You know, not something I always had. This year we're doing a Traducan. We're very excited about that, which that is a very Louisiana thing. Um, so it's kind of nice to incorporate that in. So regional, you go up to, you know, the New England states, it's not uncommon to find, you know, lobster and crab celebrated on Thanksgiving as well with other meats, but you'll still find eel in certain places that are done that. You know, venison, ham, goose is a popular Thanksgiving uh, food in a lot of places. I've done goose on Thanksgiving a few times. Then you'll still get some, you know, other roasts in there, whether it's beef or, you know, lamb, things like that. As far as turkeys go, my God, you cross the country, you'll got brined or no brined, <laughs> you know, butter basted or sweet glazed, or even down south, you'll get the long and slow barbecue. And then today, so many people do the deep fried turkeys. If you've never done a deep fried turkey before, they're absolutely delicious Please, please, please be careful. They are one of the number one sources of Thanksgiving fires. So please be careful. Do it outside. Don't do it in your house. You know, set up a fryer. Be safe. So stuffing versus dressing, another big thing. Real simple designation. Do you know what the difference between the two is, Amaris? What, stuffing versus dressing? Yes. Um, I mean... <sighs> One, I think you stuffing cook. Stuffing is very simply stuffed in the Yeah, turkey. and I was like, the, the other, other one you just cook. Yep, yep. I was starting with the cook in the pan. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, in general, dressing is more of a southern item. Sausage stuffing is more of an eastern item. Cornbread stuffing is certainly a little bit more of a southern item. And then Oyster stuffing is very popular in the Gulf states in New England. And it's weird because some of the best oysters in the world come from the Pacific coast, but oyster stuffing is not really a big popular thing out there. I found that you know, very strange. Gravy. So just a variety of gravy. You know, you can get cream gravies. You can get sage gravy. In New Mexico, they make a red chili gravy that is to die for in New Mexico. Um, down in the south, there's a variation of gravy that some people add cucumbers to it. More times than not, it is combined with a crumbled hard-boiled egg. And huh. while that may turn some people off, it's actually really, really, really delicious. Depending on where you go in the country, cranberry is something else. You know, uh, the cranberry relish with citrus is certainly more of a nor'eastern thing. Canned cranberry sauce is more a western thing. 
or west coast thing because the cranberry bogs are in the north and the east. Um, but in the Midwest and in the South, you also get cranberry salads, you know, incorporating them that way. In my household, we do both. I like the traditional relish with a little citrus, sometimes a little cinnamon, a little bit of nutmeg thrown in. But if I don't have that canned cranberry, the, you know, with the dents from the can in it, on my table too, the kids will revolt. I still wonder if they came from me. Um, <laughs> yams and sweet potatoes, often interchanged, but they're very different. Um, so yams, which are more like a potato, like a potato tuber, you'll find them out in the West. They're often mashed, um, similar to what we do a potato. And then, you know, sweet potato casserole, sweet potato pies, and the sweet potatoes with the candied marshmallows on top. You know, that's a big East Coast thing, um, and also down south. Now, I love to tap all my southern neighbors down there, and any of them that are making some, my good friend Delilah Winter down there in Atlanta, mac and cheese is a southern staple on Thanksgiving. And Delilah, if you're listening and you want to send me some, I'd be glad to have it. <laughs> Jello salads. I thought these were dead. I'm incorrect. Still in the Midwest in Utah, jello salads make an appearance around Thanksgiving and other times of the year. Time out. Salads? Jello salads, yes. So jello salads are basically a jello mold where they'll add fruit and things like that. They call it a jello salad. Okay. It kind of looks like something out of like, you know, one of the science fiction movies or one of the space movies that the alien just lost. So but Again, I digress. Wild rice. Wild rice is instrumental in Thanksgiving in a lot of places. You know, the Great Lakes region, Minnesota, wild rice is a grain that's up there and just grows wild and, and is, is, you know, harvested up there. So in that region, you'll often find, you know, wild rice and, and then stuffings that incorporate wild rice as well. One of my favorite things in the world, I've got to give the, the shout-out to New England, and that is creamed onions. Creamed onions are absolutely delicious. Yes. They come from the New England region. Now, while we're up that way, in upstate New York, you can also get something called a Concord Grape Pie. It's worth a try once in your life. Enjoy it. But, uh, you know, not, not for my liking, but Concord Grape Pies. Indian pudding. A New England dish. Now, I like Indian pudding. It is a kind of a cornmeal porridge that is really slow, long cooked. It's sweetened with molasses. You add a little ginger and cinnamon. Um, the problem with cornmeal porridge, if you're not used to seeing it, it kind of looks as old as the recipe is, like 200 years. <laughs> pies as we know it. So pecan pies. Pecan pies are very southern. But did you know if you add chocolate and bourbon to a pecan pie, you get a derby pie? Big Kentucky thing. And to me, anything with bourbon and you are good. If you then take the pecans out of the pie and just have the base of the pie without the nuts, you add a little meringue or whipped cream, you get what's called a Jeff Davis, Jefferson Davis, uh, for sure, but Jeff Davis pie. Hmm. You add cornmeal to that, you get a chess pie. You get into New England, very traditional Thanksgiving, not New England, Indiana. I'm sorry. You get into Indiana, very traditional uh, England-influenced, you know, Dickens kind of storybook thing, um, persimmon pies. 
It's a big thing out of Indiana. And in now California, you also can get the Asian persimmon pie because they carried that over and, and that persimmon idea, but they brought in the Asian persimmon pies to the West Coast. So my suggestions for a couple things that you may want to look at this year for your Thanksgiving pie. If you're a brine person, try a little lemon, ginger, and honey brine for your turkey. It is absolutely to die for. Instead of doing a pumpkin pie this year or in addition to your pumpkin pie, if you've ever had a Swiss roll, <laughs> go with a pumpkin-infused Swiss roll. Of course, since I can't do anything without bacon, got to have Brussels sprouts with bacon, just mandatory, you know, because everything in the world is better with bacon. Yes. You want to try to get a little different and, and go back to some cultural roots. If you've ever made curd before, which is traditionally made with, you know, some fruit juice, some eggs, some sugar, a little bit of butter, you could spread it on scones and toast. But you can do a cranberry curd tart or just make some cranberry curd and use it that way. And then when you get into mashed potatoes, this year try adding a little bit of buttermilk and sauteed leeks to your mashed potatoes. I'm telling you that, you'll be happy for days. Make some extra because it's a great leftover. As you're looking for reasons to be thankful for this year, just have another helping of the mashed potatoes that I talked about, the green beans, because think in 1621, they were having two-day-old pottage and eel. So there is a great reason to be thankful for. That being said, everyone, have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy, overeat. Celebrate with thanks, or with thanks with family and friends, and have a great, safe holiday. Thank you, Gene. And after this short break, we will be right. Join us on Food Farms and Chefs Radio Show, where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible. With co-host Gene Blom and Amaris Pollock, with original episodes that debut every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB. 97.5 HD2 and at www.dbam.com and on your smart speaker. Welcome back. And I would love to introduce Chef Sophia Morris, who is joining us from the side of the road. But um, you are recently one of the partners in Cake and Joe, which is a place in East Pashyunk and absolutely delicious. Um, but let our, let our listeners know, Sophia, where did you start? Where did you learn um, and grow up cooking? Um, well, first, hello. Um, first, I started out basically at home. My mom always cooked, so I was always in the kitchen with her. And um, between, like, school, I went to school at a corn on blue, and then I started actually my cooking career at a farmer's market in Duluth, you know, so coming from Atlanta, that's really, you know, high in food, you know, to up north where I'm originally from, it's, um, it just followed me, you know, it's, I, I have my passion for food, it's like really close, my connection with food is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I feel like you have to have, like, to be a chef and to be in the culinary world, you have to be passionate about food in general. Like I, I, I don't you know, do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know one single person who is in the culinary industry in any of the aspects of it who doesn't have a passion for it. Like elevated beyond just like I like to eat and enjoy food. It's it's kind of more of a 
embrace the yes. love. Yeah, I look at it as an experiment. Like, oh, what can I make out of that? You know, it's like the, it's endless. It's, it's endless. You know, you can make anything out of it. You'll be like, oh, wow, you can do that. You know, so I think it's more of like, for me, like an experiment that keeps on giving. <laughs> so you're saying experiment that keeps on giving. When you first started out, obviously you went to Cordon Bleu. Um, what was something out of out of uh, graduating or matriculating, if you will, um, from from there? And you know, not just that with the farmers market. What what did you what did you create at the farmers market? Um, it was at they like mac. It was like a little deli inside the farmers market: macaroni and cheese, fried chicken, um, collard greens, but like big qualities, you know, big quantities of it. Um, and the quality, the the stuff they use is like all fresh and like shredded cheese, and it wasn't like in a can, you know. It was more like making it from scratch. You know, back in the day, when I was growing up, things were cheaper, you know, so people didn't mind, you know, <laughs> buying more fresher ingredients. <laughs> you know, now it's like, oh, no. <laughs> but they made, like, just basic, like, deli food. To me, it was just amazing. I worked part-time at an Italian restaurant, and they made really nice, high-class food. So it was like, oh, just looking at the different ways that they cook. And I mean, in the, like, that's that's also something because you started down. You said you started uh, cooking down south, um, and yeah. obviously you've made your way up north. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> and from from southern cuisine to northern cuisine, like it's obviously everywhere kind of varies, and you can you know cook whatever you want to cook in, inside your kitchen. But um, I mean, I've definitely spent plenty of time down south because I have family that lives down there. And I will say the cuisines are a little bit heavier on the fat scale and fried food. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. More like comforting food, you know, biscuits and just, you know, gravies and fried and hush puppies and stuff like that. Yes. On a comforting side. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, as you work your way up north, you get more of an expansion on, you know, everything. Because so, obviously we don't drop fried food. We love in America fried food. <laughs> so you're going to find that no matter where you go. But um, but you do start seeing the more elevated um, menus. And not to say that you don't find elevated restaurants down south, just that, you know, it's uh, the the number of, of elevated restaurants. Yeah, the Southern soul food, other than, you know, more elevated, out-of-the-box, um, comforting food. You, um, like, I get what you're saying. Like, it is a little more elevated. You spend a, more, a little more time and thought, you know. I would say not thought, but a little more technique, more technique into the food. Yeah. Than just, you know, soul food, yeah. Exactly. And, it, and I'm know, like, that's the part that I love about cooking. It's always different. Everywhere you go, everyone's technique is totally different. And that's the drawing, pulling part for me when it comes to cooking. Yeah. And I know that we spoke yesterday um, over the phone. And one of the things that you had mentioned is you like doing collabs just because, you know, it's, it's fun, not just fun to do it, but you also learn from, you know, different uh, chefs, how they do things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. 
what are some of the cuisines that you have learned along the way where you're just like, I absolutely love making that and, you know, creating that or, you know, a different genre. I keep saying genre when I say this, but a different um, cuisine um, culture that you that you have found is one of your favorites. That's not just, you know, Southern oh. Comfort. Um stewed fish. I love stewed fish. <laughs> but it's more like a like a I love Asian style food, you know, Chinese food, um, Thai food, so anything Asian. They use a lot of vegetables and sauces and I'm a sauce girl, so I love dipping and like my food and sauce. I love cheese, you know, I just like to dip my food. If it comes with the sauce, I'm probably getting it. But um I would say learning is like scallion pancakes. I love making scallion pancakes. Of course, oxtails. I don't know who doesn't like oxtails. Um, when I finally learned how to make like real Jamaican oxtails from one of my coworkers' wives, it was amazing. It's like, wow, that's what y'all do? We don't even do that over here in America. It's like, that's how it's so good. It's like, you just got to take a little bit more time. Those are my probably two favorite dishes to make that. My two favorite dishes that um, I really enjoy making, you know, that I can actually, it won't be like authentic, but it'll come close because it's like, okay, as long as let me do it, let me pull out my old piece of paper that's kind of, you know, crumbling apart and trying to keep it together through tape, you know, so (laughs) I always try to (laughs) make it as close as possible to how, I like how different cultures, their food, I'm open to eating food anywhere. (laughs) I mean, I, I would hope so, being that you're a chef, too. <laughs> I, I know that I love eating all different types of uh, cuisines that, that kind of span all different cultures. But I'm with you on the Asian, the Asian aspect because um, there's so much flavor that goes into everything. And, you know, it, it runs the gamut of, you know, if you want something that has carbs in it, they obviously have that. If you want, like, a nice soup, you know, they have the Vietnamese pho or you can get ramen, like... You you know, especially like right now on these chilly chilly days. Um, like, yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a. Look, I can go for some hot pot right now. So. All right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go hot pot for like, oh, it's cold. Let's get hot pot. <laughs> so or some pho. So yeah, we're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm I'm there with you on that on that particular note. But um, uh, let's just you know delve into the fact that like. You you've now partnered with Sarah and and you're creating dishes at Cake and Joe, but um you took over you know obviously everything that's being produced. So what are you offering at Cake and Joe? Um, we have right now our fall menu. We have like a roast beef sandwiches, our breakfast sandwiches. It's a beautiful brunch menu that is a Chinese Asian. Um, Italian and soul food fusion. It's just trying to just right now, just bringing our flavors together in experimenting in the kitchen. And, you know, we use a lot of chili oil, different vegetables. Um, the menu is just, it's, it's, it's you got to stop by to see it. But <laughs> um, brunch food, we have brunch, breakfast sandwiches, potato hash, omelets, pancakes, waffles. We have a special on eggnog waffles right now. Um, the eggnog waffles is really, really good. Um, I'm just trying to experiment and see what I can bring to the area right now. I'm just trying to see what they want. So I was talking to a lot of the customers and seeing, like, what do you want? What's an area? What, you know, 
what their palate is, you know, trying to tell me right now. That's what I try to feed off of. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you you know, you probably research and find the trends that are in the food world. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can try to find the trends online, but, you know, I like to get it from the source's mouth. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. So just talking to, yeah, just talking to everybody. You know, they're the ones, you know, they're our clientele. So it's like, let me know what you want, <laughs> you know, and what they want, you know, what everybody would try to just have our flavors just come together. Yeah. And like I, you were describing to me um, a sandwich, the uh, like, and you had me salivating actually. So I kind of want you to describe it to our listeners because I was like, "Ooh, that sounds delicious!" With the bone, the bone marrow. Oh, the roast beef sandwich. Yeah, that's one of our phones, our fall specials. So it was on a ciabatta bread, and there's bone marrow butter with melted Kobe Jack cheese. And then it has roasted red peppers. It's fried. It's not fried, but it's sauteed in some more bone marrow butter with some red peppers, some onions, and with some spring mix on top. And it's served with a side of French fries, golden brown. And it's really good. The bone marrow butter really brings out the flavor of the roast beef. And it's something other than horseradish. You know, I'm not really a horseradish fan. You know, so it's like, hmm, you know. What else? And that was the, I guess, the next best thing in my head. <laughs> and that's crazy. My mom goes, bone marrow is the next best thing. I'm like, yeah, bone marrow and steak. Come on. It's a perfect match. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, she's like, no, grits and steak. And I'm like, no, bone marrow steak. It's good. The butter, you know, that's better than butter. <laughs> I know. And it gives so much, like, more flavor to it. And the, the nutrients and- that you can, you can get from, like, just ingesting the bone marrow is... You know, yeah, exactly. And I mean, not for nothing, but like you're offering this in uh, what what is pretty much a corner like neighborhood cafe that like it's cute. It's adorable. Like you walk in, they they offer all of these, you know, obviously a variety of beverages that are, you know, uh, coffees and teas and whatnot. But then, you know, you have what you're offering, which is the, the the nice, savory, hearty meals um, that you're creating and coming up with. And by word of mouth, obviously, and if you ever need a taste tester, I will 100% sign up to be that taste <laughs> tester. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell Dennis. Always. <laughs> I'll tell uh, Gene. Exactly. Gene, I'll tell Gene that I'm going in. I'll bring him along too. And uh, Gene, Gene's my co-host and he's quiet right now because he's letting me talk, but I'm sure he's a little bit chomping out the bit because he's a chef too. Oh, yes. I love just sitting down talking to another chef and be like, oh, what you cook? Oh, let me taste. Oh, can we cook it together? <laughs> and that's usually how my conversation goes. Like, oh, you want to get in the kitchen? We can get to know each other really fast in the kitchen just by cooking each other. The things that chefs talk about just by cooking together, you, I don't know his life story by the end of the dish. <laughs> It will probably be best friends. <laughs> you would, uh, Gene, if you want to pop in and say 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 a little. <laughs> I, I certainly concur. You know, after one shift in the kitchen together, there's not much that you don't know about the other person, and you yeah. probably have an intimacy <laughs> level with them that you know people don't have after a couple years of dating. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's, yes, yes. That's exactly how it is. Like, yeah, I know. I know him. I know his family. Yeah, that's my bro. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's my work husband. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Mm, that's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that's, you know, that's a big thing that like behind the scenes for our listeners out there, like the, the behind the scenes stuff that happens in this industry, like in, you know, you, you become family, like you get to know certain people. You really do. Yeah. You get to know certain people and you click immediately. Like I clicked with you immediately when I met you at uh crab du jour <laughs> <laughs> and, like, <Yes. laughs> way back when. Um, but like it, you do, you become family very quickly or, you know, obviously there's some people that you don't get along with, but like, you know, that you still to a certain degree get along because you have that co-passion and that passion for like cooking and love of, of food. Um, yeah, it's not an easy industry to be in. It's like, why did you pick this? You're crazy. And so are you. I know. That's why we're in there. We love each other. <laughs> <laughs> but like, mm-hmm. let me circle back to, um, to cake and Joe and to what you do, because I mean, obviously that's the reason why I have you on. I want to entice people to, to come in and try some of your stuff. But like, what are some of the other menu items that like get you feel free to get descriptive? Um, because I know that I love Cake and Joe and I know that I love the food that you create, but you know, people are listening. They can't see it right now. Um, so describe one of your favorite menu items that you've created um, and that people obviously love. Um, I love the potato hash. So it has rustic potatoes, sweet potatoes, um, spinach, um, Red peppers, green peppers, yellow peppers, onions, garlic, um, that sautéed into golden brown and some garlic oil. Um, and then, you know, that's nicely in a nice black bowl. And it's topped with two sunny-side-up eggs with some chili oil and some cilantro. Um, I think that's my favorite dish to make. It's just really flavorful. I like to add a little shredded cheese on mine just to make it a little extra cheesy and like some garlic oil and it's topped with some chili oil. So it has like that nice spice to it. And, you know, in our chili oil, it has so many herbs and, you know, garlic and scallions, you know, that's already infused into the oil. So like the flavors just come together and you can really taste it like the Italian side and the Chinese side and the potatoes are filling. So it's that soul food side, you know, it's something you know, very savory that you can, you know, just enjoy or eating or an omelet. I love omelets. So, you and know, a nice, um, go ahead. I was going to say, and omelets are something that you can get very creative with because you can do so much with an omelet. Yeah. We have a French style omelet that's stuffed with cheese and spinach and it's topped with hollandaise sauce with, um, um, uh, shrimp, I'm going to tongue fry it, with shrimp, and it's served with potatoes, with, like, um, fried potatoes, and that's really good, because holiday sauce and potatoes and an omelet is really amazing. I love that, with a side of salsa, <laughs> so all of it together. Adding that flavor. And, like, it, yeah, adding that extra flavor. Yeah, and even if you're stuffed while you're there, you can always, like, because Cake and Joe, like, one of the things that they're 
super known for is their desserts. Um, oh, our desserts are amazing. They <laughs> really are. I don't know. They really are. They look as good as they, they taste as good as they look. <laughs> they do. And I've, I've gotten several people hooked on going to Cake, Cake and Joe because just, just based off of desserts. So hopefully mm-hmm. I'll hook everybody uh, into Cake and Joe f- with, with the foods that you're creating because the savory menu has definitely expanded since you've um, joined Yes, our um our dessert our dessert menu has definitely expanded too. We added like two different two extra um items. I think within the last two months and our pastry chef, she's really, really creative in the creations that she creates. I try to just bounce. I'm like, okay, so I gotta make it look that pretty. <laughs> All right, you know, it kinda pushes me to be more creative and make everything look even more prettier. And it's like, All right, so this is what we're gonna do. So, <laughs> you know, in Everything, yeah, and then the drink. So with coffee and the savory and the sweet, it all goes together. It know? really yeah. does. And um, mm-hmm. and believe it or not, our time is actually already coming to a close because we were having so much fun talking about everything. Um, but before <laughs> I let you go and you know get find out where to follow you and where to follow Cake and Joe online, um, what's something because it is a Thanksgiving. Um, special episode what's something that you've created for this thanksgiving and what is something you are thankful for um i created for for cake and joe for the menu um an eggnog i like eggnog and so there's only one of my kids like eggnog so i created an eggnog um pancakes um and i'm just thankful for the new opportunities that i have you know there's, you know, you got to just stay growing. I just like growth, you know. As long as I keep growing, I don't feel stuck, you know. I'm happy just for the opportunities that should come my way. Oh, that's nice. Now, as far as opportunity is concerned, where can our listeners have the opportunity to try cake, some of your <laughs> delicious foods? Um, you go to Cake and Joe on Instagram. It's Cake and Joe Philly. You can go to cakeandjoe.com. We do deliver in South Philly in the Pennsylvania area. Um, you can find me at Chef Sophia Morris on Instagram, Chef Sophia Morris on Facebook, or you can find my website at ChefSophiaMorris.com. You know, Kegger Joe is Chef Sophia Morris. You'll find you know, reach out to us. We do catering and everything. So, you know, reach out to us. We will handle anything you need. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Chef Sophia, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. You. Thank, Thank you for you, having Sophia. me. I enjoyed myself. Thank you. You were quiet. <laughs> I was quiet. I just got done doing a long segment, so. <laughs> he was resting. <laughs> All right. Well, happy Thanksgiving well, thank to you. you. Happy Thanksgiving to you, too, too. And we are live at Taste of Lancaster with Frank Benowitz, who is a White House chef, Food Network star, like everything. We're, we're going everywhere with you. But uh, you've been up there running around. You've been back here running around. So wh- what's going on? How, how's, uh, how's it been for this uh, Taste of Lancaster? You know, uh, Lancaster, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Lancaster. <laughs> Lancaster is truly a beautiful place. And the people are beautiful here, too. they uh, very friendly, very kind. Uh, we're serving chili at our booth. They seem to really enjoy it. It's seven meat chili, uh, balancing flavors and textures, and they're appreciating it very much. Topped with a little bit of cornbread and micro cilantro. I did a demonstration with a Jersey pan-seared scallop with a blueberry gastrique and spicy mango salsa with sea fennel. 
and also did uh, did a two-way, did the seared scallops with a shrimp bisque reduction as well. So um, we've had a great show. We're feeding lots of people, lots of wonderful people here, chefs, vendors, and, of course, the people of Lancaster. So um, I had the benefit of trying your chili and also your scallops. I loved your scallops yesterday. I loved that, like, it was different, but it was like a sweetness um, the that was added with the gastrique. And I adored that because it added a different flavor profile to it. But I have to say, that chili, um, I actually, I can, because I can get away with more than most people. I literally, like, after they scooped out some of the chili, I was like, oh. And then I scooped more for myself. It was absolutely delicious. So what kinds of meats did you add into that? Well, thank you very much. Uh, Chef Ben was calling it my cheeky chili because I told him, uh, and then he called it hurricane chili because chili is a great vehicle, as I was showing people, to kind of clean out your freezer. So if you have bits and pieces of meats that aren't enough to make a center of the plate type meal, you can just sweat out some onions and some garlic and then just dice up all the meats you have caramelize them, and go ahead and put that in there with some chili sauce. And then we used about 12 different spices to balance the flavor. So today's chili, or what we've been serving this weekend, the chili, is um, four different sausages in there, some beef tenderloin, some beef short rib, and some smoked duck breast. So, so yeah, but we, we've done, uh, last time we were in Lancaster, we, we were up to 14 meats. We even had some gator in there, and it's it's just whatever we have left from classes we didn't use. We free, we have it in the freezer. We don't want to waste it, so we will go ahead and we make it, and we make it look, smell, and taste delicious. Make sure it's safe to eat, and we bring it for people to enjoy. And the feedback, including yourself, I'm humbled, has been very very positive. So so thank you. And the scallop dish it was about showcasing very fresh ingredients. So the scallops were out of the water on Thursday to me on Friday, and cooked Friday night for that demo. That is amazing. I mean, you could definitely taste the freshness of it. And I, you have to, scalps are one of those things where if you don't do them right, like it can either be rubbery or it could be undercooked. Like, you know, you never know. With you, obviously, it's going to be cooked pr to perfection. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, adding, adding a different flavor profile than somebody is not accustomed to, to trying, I think adds to the surprise and adds to the... Um, the like, ooh, wow factor. So I love the fact that, you know, not only was it fresh ingredients, but you also had very hardworking students back there helping you out. Um, I took some photos of them in, in, the, in their process with today's demos. Uh, and I have to say they are, they are definitely on point, just getting everything out. And like you guys have a whole assembly line. So how proud of you are, or how proud are you to see your students at working together and making this event run so smoothly. I, I mean, I'm I'm proud of my students beyond words. Uh, the fact that they're even willing to attend this show this is this is not something part of a program. This is completely volunteer. They made the trip at their own expense to come here and just have displayed a level of work ethic that has made me again beyond proud. It, it makes me proud to be their instructor. Proud to be their teacher proud to be what I consider them as colleagues at this point when they're working this event with me. They've uh, shown me so much over time. One of the things that a lot of times we wear blue aprons, uh, Thomas Keller uh, has kind of shown us the way with that because blue represents in European culture in a kitchen that you're always learning. And you have to stay humble in that respect. So I learned from the students. I do a pulled pork on my menu and uh, they actually went ahead and showed me that they do it in their job 
in a KitchenAid mixer instead of pulling it by hand. I never thought of that. So now that's how I do it. So you always have to be willing to learn. And anyone out there that's listening, you know, I teach at community college. Community college is really the best option, in my opinion, to start or further your education. So if you're interested in culinary arts, I mean, obviously I'm in Mercer County, but there's other schools probably in your area that you can go to for a very affordable price. And even if you want to just learn the basics for yourself and not go into the industry, community college provides that level of flexibility and affordability. So I am beyond proud of my students. I'm proud that they made a great affordable economic decision to attend Mercer County College and even more so at what they do with their work ethic, their ability to learn, their ability to adapt, and their ability to represent our school and themselves with such a level of professionalism and attention to detail that most professionals these days may not even accomplish. That is a lot, and I, I'm so happy for you and that you're able to like, you know, foster these relationships and you know see them grow from state you know point one to like graduation and I mean it's got to be an amazing feeling and you know a feat that you you are getting feedback not just from the food but you know from the students themselves I'm sure that they're showing you appreciation just as much as you are to them absolutely uh, there was a man I, I worked with many years ago uh, his name was Bob Danzig he recently passed away but he uh, wrote about a book of threads in your life, and I may have shared this story with you before, but basically every person, every situation, every experience that you have in life becomes just like a piece of fabric that you wear, like a shirt. It becomes sewn into us as a human being, those experiences, that understanding, that education, that work experience, your friends, your family, people close to you are the more time you spend with them, the bigger piece of the fabric that put us together as the human being we are. So again, I'm humbled, I'm appreciative, I'm thankful, whatever adjective you want to use to just be a small piece of the fabric sewn into these individuals as a human being. And that's what keeps me going in 20 years of being a chef instructor, that I have so many people that I have a small piece of the fabric in which they are that is me. And that is something that allows my lifetime to have more meaning and more legacy. And I, I, I can't say more than that when you're an educator to be able to see that and your students coming back visiting you a year later, five years later, 10 years later. And now I have students visiting me 20 years later to say thank you to me and just to keep in touch. And that is something that is beyond money, it's beyond words, and it's true appreciation of life and people. That is a beautiful statement to make, and I appreciate that you made that. Um, and I know with, you know, sewing fabrics together in families and whatnot, um, one thing that brings all people together is food. Everyone that I know appreciates food to some degree, you know, whether they like comfort foods versus they're, you know, like us and they're foodies and they try just about everything. It does bring everyone together. So the fact that you're able to, like bring people together and they're coming back to you and saying thank you no matter what like what else what's something that um you are grateful for because thanksgiving is right around the corner <laughs> i'm putting you under, under i'm throwing a spotlight on you but thanksgiving is right around the corner what is something that you are truly truly thankful for outside you know outside of just being a chef well, that's that's a that's a loaded question. First and foremost, I'm I'm extremely thankful for my daughter. I mean, she really uh, demonstrated to me the understanding of the words unconditional love. 
I never understood the meaning of unconditional love until my daughter was born. So having family, my, my wife, my, my parents, my family in general, that have always been there and supportive, and I, I have always tried to reciprocate that same thing. So I think family and friendships are the thing that we probably are always truly grateful and blessed for, especially when it comes to the holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and whatever other holidays people may celebrate. If you're celebrating them with family and friends, you not only are grateful, you're truly blessed. I love that too. So now that you are, you know, kind of winding down from today, because I know there's a couple more hours, but it's, it's a little bit more wound down, running around, doing so many like recipes, some of the chefs that were up there, what were some of your favorite things that, uh, that you helped out with, that you tasted? Well, we, we had the pleasure of working with Chef Ben Robinson in preparing his demonstration food. And the fact that he, I, I've worked with many chefs over the years for such demos, and, and everyone's different. Uh, I've always enjoyed the experience of learning, because again, I, I stay humble and I always learn new things. So the fact that he was with me from 10.30 this morning straight through right before his demonstration started at 1 p.m., working side by side with myself and the students to prepare his demonstration food. He didn't just leave us with a recipe or a list. He worked side by side with us to make sure that we were enjoying the experience as much as he enjoyed the experience. And the old saying is actions speak louder than words. His actions demonstrated to his fans Throughout his time here, he even stayed for an extra session. He even came for my demo last night just to pop in for about 15 minutes and watch it and tell me how much he enjoyed it. I, I mean, those actions are beyond what most of the quote-unquote celebrity chefs do for one another. So to see Chef Ben Robinson enjoy the experience so much, be very appreciative to myself and the students, all while showing his actions to his fans, was probably the best experience I've had at this show. Plus the people enjoying my food, of course. Yes, of course. I know. I kind of want to pop over and like grab a whole bowl of that that chili. That was absolutely delicious. And he, uh, Chef Ben, he had so much energy. Like I, I was, and he has it on the show too on Bravo. So the fact that you were able to see that it's you know authentic to who he is as a human, you know, as a person, like is is a wonderful thing. Um, and the fact that he went side by side with your students, like there's no judgment, there's just love in food and the culinary um, industry. So it's, I like that he, you were able to express that, that you were able to witness that and that your students were too. So um, would you say that given the opportunity, would you bring him back into like maybe a classroom se session if it was possible? It's funny, we spent a lot of time together over the past two days, and uh, he expressed an interest. I, I took, during COVID, I took a uh, molecular gastronomy course through Harvard University, and he has a, a, a distinct interest in the molecular gastronomy. So we were talking about that and, and how I'm going to set him up with that program because we have a food science program at Mercer County College, partner with Rutgers University. So he's very interested in that and extend an open invitation for him to visit. I hope he takes advantage of that. Because, like I said, we really enjoyed working with him. Uh, he seems like a, a great person. He's also somebody that's continually willing to learn. He worked for uh, Chef Heston Blumenthal from The Fat Duck. And I would just love to have some more time with him to, uh, to learn from him. And, and maybe he'll pick up some things that we do as well. But um, the experience was tremendous. That's 
Great. Now, for your students and for you in Mercer Mercer County College, um, do you guys ever offer like uh, tasting menus or any events where you know the 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 students cook and you know people come in and they can enjoy? And when is the next opportunity to do that? Well, there's there's uh, pros and cons in life, as I always say. Um, the pros are yes, we do offer uh, class restaurants that are open to the public. We did just have a, a tasting event, and if you can look and see my sleeves, we have a lot of uh, community, state, and national support for our programs, which is the con. The con is we offer tickets for five restaurant classes, which uh, is probably about 600 tickets. We sell out in about two hours. Yeah, so in our tasting event, uh, we had tickets for that. We sold about 115 tickets, I think, in a couple days. So that and that was at a higher price tag. So we have uh, these items available. They just are few and far between. You should definitely visit our website to learn more about our program, uh, www.mccc.edu/hrim. So that's uh, Mercer County College. That's our program, HRIM, Hotel, Restaurant, Institution Management, Culinary, Pastry, Food Science, and Hospitality Management. When people visit, we are very true to that fact. Whether we're working with Chef Ben or, or uh, Kurt Russell or any of the chefs, we always maintain that level of being hospitable. If you are not hospitable and celebrating hospitality, then this is not the industry for you. All right, and where can people find you online and on social media? Well, I, I don't do a lot of, uh, I'm more of a behind the scenes person. Um, so I, I have my Facebook, but it's more a personal one, so I really don't uh, share that. I do have an Instagram account also, but again, I don't share that. But my daughter and I do have uh, a small account we haven't paid much attention to, but we just got to the thousand uh, follower mark. So, so it's called um, Junk Food Jersey. So if you're in the Jersey surrounding tri-state area and you like, it doesn't have to be junk food per se, but we try to find interesting snack foods and put it on there. Uh, our apologies, we've, she's been busy in college, I've been busy running around with events like this. Uh, but Junk Food Jersey on Instagram, we'd love you to follow and hopefully we're gonna get to that over the next couple months and update some new things. All right, Chef, thank you so much for joining us on Food Firms and Chefs, and I love having you on. Hopefully we can get you on for like a full session, um, but I will let you go because I know you're probably gonna run around some more. <laughs> It's quite all right, and there will be a big bowl of chili waiting for you, so don't worry about that at all. And thank you to everyone listening, and uh, please support community colleges, community restaurants, and everybody that's working in this hard, hard industry of hospitality. Be nice to people, be kind, and happy holiday season. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Food Farms and Chefs this week, and we hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And to find us online, you can follow Gene Bloom at... You can find me at IBFoodie2, that's I-B-F-O-O-D-I-E, the number two, at yahoo.com, or across social media at Gene Blum or IBFoodie2. And you can find Amaris Pollock at ARPollockus, or you can email her to be a guest or sponsor of the show at ARPollockus at gmail.com. <laughs>